Hi, I'm Britton LaRue, and this is Moon to Moon. Moon to Moon is a space to consider, celebrate, and share the ways we come home to ourselves, anchor through change, and uncover our power. One month, one phase, one loving step at a time. Welcome to the Sagittarius season episode of Moon to Moon. It's good to be back. I haven't recorded anything from Moon to Moon in a month um, since the start of Scorpio season. And um, it's been nice to take a break, but it's also wonderful to come back home to it, to the practice. So I wanted to begin the episode by sharing some of my own processes that I'm noticing have been unfolding across this fall, across summer, fall, across the last six months since Taurus came and went. I don't know about you, but I feel like I just suddenly like washed up on a totally new shore. Um, I feel like I walked through a door in these last couple of weeks that really set a lot behind me that initiated me into a sense of like closure, transitional transition, having passed, um, the end of a liminal space with something and that I'm stepping right now into a phase that feels void-like and fresh. And frankly, that feels chaotic to me (laughs) because I'm not quite sure what my next season here or my next phase looks like. So I'm for me, for my part here at the beginning of Sagittarius season, which is the third sign of the autumn season in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm really going to be asking Sagittarius season to do what it does, which is be mutable. We'll talk about that. We'll talk, we'll define that in a little bit is to, and help me to integrate what I've been learning and that help me feel okay with like, I don't really know what I'm moving into next. And I'm just going to let Capricorn figure that out. (laughs) And I'm going to allow Sagittarius season to be about integration because for so many of us, we've been moving through so much Let us take the time to integrate, you know? (sighs) So I want to share some of the things that I've been learning because I so often find that my 
process of learning is helpful to other people. And so this episode will go me sharing that. Then I want to just share some updates from my corner of the world. Then I want to get into Sagittarius teachings, Sagittarius wisdom, like what is Sagittarius? It's helpful to me. I know it's helpful to others. That's my candle. The glass of my candle just popped. Wow. Um, I'm going to blow that out just in case that's a hazard of some kind. I know that it's helpful um, to talk through the wisdom of the signs so that we can all attune, we can align our bodies, align our spirits with that energy and really bring it in. Then I'm going to do some review like I like to do of like, so where are we astrologically? What's, let's reorient. Let's orient to the story of astrology of 2021 and where we're currently at with that. And then um, we'll get into Sagittarius season 2021 forecast. And I'll hit the highlights and offer you some dates for your calendar and give you some of the kinds of tips that I like to give that seem to be helpful to people, like questions to ask yourself, um, ways to be with what's here so that you feel like you're learning with it and that you're growing with the astrology as it's happening. So to begin then, big things that I've been learning. (laughs) A really big invitation for me has been to embrace a self-concept that knows myself as a clear person. The language, I am a clear person, I got from um, a really fantastic business witch whose name is Sam Garcia of the Dirty Alchemy. I heard this phrasing, I am a clear person from Sam, and uh, it felt really radical for me. Not because I don't think I can have clear thoughts and that I, I can know clarity. I just, I don't think I really accept that as like an identity feature, um, or have accepted that. In my chart, I'm super Piscean, as you may know, and I have the modern ruler of Pisces, Neptune, in Sagittarius, squaring my Pisces planets, Sun, Sun, Mercury, and Venus. And... um, the the square between my my mercury and neptune is especially tight mercury being the mind how you're thinking already what we call quote unquote in detriment and in fall in pisces this is because mercury is very comfortable and rules and is exalted in the opposite sign of virgo 
So when you have a planet in the opposite sign from which it rules or which is exalted, we call it in detriment or in fall, meaning it's just like a little bit out of its toolbox. It's not a BAD bad thing. It's a neutral thing, but it can create a a um, invitation in your life to become more clever and learn some clever workarounds to um, kind of like live in a world where people want you to be more like the opposite. I love having a Mercury in Pisces. It's wonderful. But sometimes I feel um, a little drenched in symbol in um, the nonverbal, in the visual, in the musical, in the poetic, um, in the dream realm, in the numinous, really beautiful things that I've now learned to um, dilate and make more valuable in the work that I do. But Sometimes it's difficult to like follow instruction manuals. <laughs> and with Neptune square my Mercury, um, square being at a difficult angle, like there's a more of a tension challenge to work through. And Neptune being this energy that calls us into dream, that takes us beyond the verbal, that um, invites forms of knowing and communication from altered states, um, less grounded, you know, in reality. I think that over the course of my life, I've identified as someone like not sure that I'm clear, uh, possessing um, some self-trust issues around being um, discerning or grounded or practical. And sometimes feeling like I just don't, I don't have answers. Like I don't know what I want. I don't know what I need. I don't, I don't even know how to answer your question because you're asking me for an answer and my brain sees many answers and many possibilities in many ways because it's like not designed to be specifically one one um, groove my brain you know and so this but this phrasing I am a clear person has been just super strong um, for me these last couple of months it was in the last couple of months that I had that Phrasing that I shared on Instagram, if it's not resonant, it's not fucking resonant, which is like, um, you know, an intuitive person's way of getting clear is like, is it resonant? When you, when I ask myself that, is this resonant or like, is this an affinity with me? But when I ask those questions, I'm like, oh, I could get clear on that actually. I can get clear on it when you put it that way. Um, if you say, what's the answer? I don't always know what you mean by that question. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm a clear person feeling really important to help me trust that I can know what's resonant for me. 
and that I can, from a place of identifying resonance, make choices and have answers and like um, create even what we might call a stance or an opinion, both things that have been very hard for me over most of my life to like feel confident that I can do not wanting to be cornered into a stance or an opinion because that's what those feel like to me as a very mutable person. Um, How to weave clarity and I am a clear person into my identity as a mutable person feels very liberating and empowering. And it's really been just, I guess, around the reframe so that I can know that feeling of being empowered with an answer that feels like what's good for me and trusting that I don't have to source my answers from outside of myself to have them. So that's been, that's been a big one. And, um, Yeah, I feel like that one was especially coming on strong across uh end of Virgo and Libra. Mm, it may it may actually have been Mars and Libra that was helping with that. Um I'm still grounding it astrologically. Another big thing that I've been learning is <clears throat> How to feel comfortable being a winner. Um, (laughs) My whole life, like I would want to quit board games before the end so that nobody had to experience losing. Um, I was always shooting for second place so I could comfortably feel like pretty close to the best, but like not actually having to carry the mantle of best. And like whatever that was going to mean. And in my resistance to being a killer or a winner, the one enthroned, the one that takes the prize, the one that walks away triumphant, my resistance to that has... Um, historically prevented me from claiming what I want, you know? To name it, to claim it is going to mean somebody else doesn't get it, you know? And like my identification is like with being a good person that loves everyone and like wanting everyone to win, I'm wanting everyone to feel hungry. I mean, not hungry, to not feel hungry, to feel fed, to feel satiated with their lives, to know how wonderful and beautiful they are, to know how they are loved and worthy of love. All of those things that I want so much, you know, this is very Piscean, have also made it hard for me to... uh, really like take the spoils so to speak or like take the medal or like walk away with the trophy 
Um, and it's sort of like, I now see as life denying in the sense of like the life cycle, life, death, life, beings, eating beings, that's all part of the, the being experience on this planet. And that like in order to really live here and commit to living here and having the stomach to look at all of that requires seeing that like in order to to live and to thrive we have to kill or that we have to we have to claim what we want and that claiming what we want and getting what we want and eating what we want um, is actually part of our service and leadership and how we can grow our own like power tanks or our own our own life zest to then give, you know, to then to to have like the fire, the 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 energy to to give more means also taking the power that you need. Um, very complicated for my my personality, for my um, for my person to to really get this um, without it feeling cruel, you know, or just like unfeeling or um, harsh, ugly, uh, oppressive, you know, since I so dearly don't want to be oppressive and cruel and harsh, um, I've had to move through this. Right. And so I've, I've really been learning a lot about this lately. A lot has been coming up, um, romantically, I, um, I'm, I have been seeing someone who had been openly dating and many women desired this person and this person wants to be with me and allowing myself to just like sit in the throne of that and just own this, that like those other women don't get him that I do. I've had to do like a whole walk around this, like walk through the labyrinth and back, like what? You know, it, uh, making peace with like, I win. Um, uh, it's n- not comfortable for me, but I, it feels really Im- important as a lesson for me right now to just let myself feel enthroned with what I want, which is this person and their attention, you know? Likewise, I, got, I was in a situation this fall where <clears throat> I did not want to be in some sort of competition with another person 
uh, professionally. I did not see it as competition, but it was clear that this other person saw it that way. And um, wrangling with like, yeah, my, my offering was amazing. My offering is what people wanted. My offering is uh, a strong competitor. Um, some people chose my offering over this other person's. Yes. Um, and just letting myself feel really good about that and not tortured by it was like a similar sort of feeling of a walk. And it just started to realize like it was sort of popping up everywhere that um, it was important that I allow myself to be um, winning in some way or like uh, compassionate and unapologetic is really the word. Unapologetic about wanting something and getting it, you know? And that however that lands on other people is actually like none of my business. And just to, you know, check in with oneself, check in with oneself, like, are you in integrity? Are you being honest? Are you being transparent? Are you being um, aligned with your values? Yes. Then get what you want. This is awesome. With that extra energy of feeling so fed and feeling so full and satisfied, you can then give more, you know? <laughs> really big ones like that feels like a multi-life learning thing that I'm in right now um, I'm also been working through a lot of guilt about having completed grief over the previous relationship that I was in and feeling tortured by like, if you once said that you would love someone forever, if you once called someone the love of your life, your undying love, and that relationship ceases to be, then were you a liar? Did, does present time love like not mean anything because look what happened last time didn't work out so who are you to say somebody's now this great love just really moving through a lot of like making peace with um this idea that like even though the relationship is over, that person can still be a love that is undying. It's just in a new form now. It's not in a form of a contract where you're in relationship. It's in the form of memory or it's in the form of objects. 
that are still sacred to you in the form of dreams or astral communication, um, maybe in the form of friendship. Everyone can be different there. But like, what do the words even mean when we say we love someone? Or what does it mean to be in love? Is it an action? Is it a promise? What does it even mean? Like, what do we owe? What are the debts? What are we signing ourselves to? When does what we sign ourselves to end or collapse or dissolve or does it ever? How do we have multiple loves running adjacent at the same time? Is that okay? Is it normal? Like moving through these things has been really, really big for me as I quote unquote move on. And I'm um, shocked, surprised, elated, overwhelmed by finding love again. And then wondering what that means for past words, you know. Um, Yeah, really been moving through a lot of that. It has just layers and layers and layers as time passes. As time passes and I have different needs, you know. In the beginning, just wanting to get that contract off of me and feel some spaciousness to just feel in my own sovereignty, letting that contract go and now feeling more like does it need to fully go? Can't it coexist um, side by side another love in some different form? Hmm, you know? Really just playing with that and wanting to be deprogrammed from like whatever culture says is like sin or right or allowed or normal you know, and, and really just listen to like what feels true for me and what feels um, authentic to my body. Hmm. Yeah. So I've been learning a lot about that. Um, and, and, and in a likewise way, I've been doing so much um, receiving of what has grown in the place of what died there, you know, with um, my breakup being in Taurus season and here this past Scorpio season, really just feeling so, so aware of the vulture magic of having really grieved and let, let things die and let loss just be so present and like feasting on it and then calling in something else that I wanted to emerge and then the things emerging bigger and better and more miraculous than I could even have fathomed and just like, oh, just feeling so cared for that full moon ritual that I did a full moon ritual 
um, at the at this full moon in Taurus, and it was profound, and there were many tears as I just felt all the ways that so much had like died in my life this year. I know so many of us have this. What a year of death 2021 is. Just whatever like started to break um, in 2020, just this year being carried away and um, feeling so much lately the fullness of new life growing and like overwhelmed by how cared for I feel by the celestial bodies, <laughs> my tarot deck, um, spirit, and those that love me, which has been leading me to, to realize a lot lately with um, Scorpio and Taurus have a lot to teach us about value and really learning a lot lately about like what I think people value in me is not really necessarily what people value in me at all. Like I like throughout my life decided what my value is to people and it is such a waste of energy and hustle to force myself to be that vision when actually what people value is all these other things that I just like take for granted or don't see as my gifts that have much more to do with like my being self than my doing self. So like just relax, you know, and I'm in the throes of just so much reinvention with my offering right now, which I'll talk more about in a minute, but it's all part of these death processes of this year, just like, what do people want from me? Like, what what do they want to pay for? And just trying to listen and get out of my own way and, like, not get confused that what people want is X, Y, Z when what they really want is this other thing that's actually, like, much more easeful for me to show up as. It doesn't have to be so hard, you know? And, um, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of, like, devil work lately. There's a devil workshop trying to come through with me. Um, Devil being the card we associate with Capricorn. My moon is in Capricorn, And just really this idea of like embracing my messiness and embracing my unreliability and embracing my confusion and embracing like my shadow, my Persephone, my weirdness, all the ways that I don't conform to societal norms things that I've been terrified to share about myself and just like really just totally own them and like let them fill me with laughter and life and love for like this crazy experience we're living here. The devil really helps me say fuck it. 
And when I say fuck it, I tend to really be inside of some profound things. Somewhere on that, potentially. (laughs) Um, And finally, I've also been really learning a lot about um, new lessons about my personal trauma, um, how it shows up in the body, the way the body holds so many stories about past pain and trauma and overwhelm and grief and how um, what I want to do with what I'm learning, like how, how I can support myself not to fix myself or f- like, right, it's like not solving a problem as much as like, what are some ways that I could actually help myself though, you know, and not embrace my trauma responses as my personality, but actually like very necessary default modes that started to show up in my life um, to survive, but which relate to what my past self needed and don't necessarily need to be how I operate anymore. And that like my grief, say, for example, with the trauma of losing my dad in one afternoon in my teenage years, that my, I don't have to continuously, continually reinforce my trauma in order to feel the grief of what I've lost that I can grieve my father without um, serving the like longevity of my trauma response, if that makes sense. Um, I'm working through the language around that. But it's always humbling to see where your um, where your somatic experience wants to take you next. Because, you know, we cute humans can think we're, like, done with things, you know? Like, we can think we're over something. And just like, oh, well, guess I don't have to worry about that anymore. (laughs) And then there it is again. And uh, showing up in a new way. And that's been present for me, too. So it's been a time, you know? I moved out of my mom's and into my house that I've been um, dreaming of moving into for many months. Lived at my mom's for three months. And um, just getting in here surrounded by stuff that I'm still weeding through because I really want a fresh start has been exciting and overwhelming and... um, really invitational for fresh starts and like just naming what I want and like allowing myself to let go and just keep letting go and keep letting go and keep noticing the ways that I hold on, I hold on and just letting go, letting go. And um, as I said, now I feel myself coming into this 
almost like some kind of clearing, you know, like some kind of opening, like, like I've been moving down a river that was covered with overhanging trees and suddenly like I've opened into the delta of this totally bright, wide open space, just like my eyes are still adjusting. Like, what is this place that I am now in? And what do I want it to be? What do I want it to be? And honoring what that all was, what what the, the journey was here, let Sagittarius season, I say, let Sagittarius season help me, help you if you desire it, to be with these questions around where we've been and where we want to go next, you know, because it's at the threshold of the winter solstice at the end of Sagittarius season, where I think it's really beautiful to have the clarity of like, I honor what the dark of what's behind me and I see where I want to go, you know? And that's when we start seeding the year, the workbook that I create with my collaborator, Angela George, where we can seed the year, seed with intention what's on the other side of the solstice, you know? So here at the beginning, it's like, this beautiful like candlelight ceremony for a whole month um, for us in the Northern Hemisphere that experience Sagittarius season as dark, dark, dark. Here we're lighting candles to honor what we've lost and what we've let go and what has been. And we're also lighting candles of hope and optimism and new beginnings. And like, why do we sing the songs that we sing? So I'm getting ahead of myself there. That was a little teaser for what we're going to talk about with Sedge. So thank you for letting me walk through some of those shares. Um, some of the things I missed, I, I didn't share that I ran my fourth marathon. Um, I ran my fourth marathon and then a, three days later came down with COVID. Um, so it's been a really wild couple of weeks. Um, it's been a, just a portal of all that running a marathon, like the energetics of that are like wild, you know, like the energetics of preparing yourself mentally and physically, emotionally for what that's going to take from you, you know, and then executing that. And then like having a couple days of not being able to basically move because your legs are so so sore and then suddenly coming down with fever and finding out that you can't leave your house and you have to be in quarantine it's just been it's been wild um but I feel like it was like all part of this portal experience like closing out closing out Scorpio Libra closing out everything that has been happening since really Aries just like the year's closing the year is a closing and uh that whole marathon COVID back-to-back experience kind of forced me to be in the dark um whether the dark of my own focus or the dark of my own recovery 
you know, and both a marathon and COVID are experiences that really bring you into yourself and move you into kind of almost like hallucinatory states of um, altered states for sure of being like outside of a lot of your regular path or your regular life, a lot of your regular interactions and bring you like right there with yourself and um, in a very scorpionic way that was also bringing me closer to the person that I've been deeply connecting with because we both got COVID and we shared our quarantine together. And in that feverish, uh, sort of sick space of recovering and having no energy of barely moving beyond the bed to the couch, to the bathroom, to the kitchen and back. Um, it's very Scorpionic in the sense that Scorpio is an interpersonal water sign and really like sharing those deep, deep waters with, that, with somebody else and letting them witness me and honor me and celebrate me and all of my weirdnesses and my secrets, my dreams, my longings, my pain. Not because I have to be witnessed or validated, but letting myself be witnessed and validated because sometimes I try to be so stoic like I don't want it. And that having its own healing balm. It's been a time. <laughs> it's been a time. <laughs> I really feel the astrology has been <clears throat> moving through me. And I feel so close to the planets. So, yes, updates. Other updates, my Pluto container, Notes from the Underground, um, was initiated and closed in the space of Scorpio season, a course that I co-facilitated with my guest teachers, Megan Fry, Mariola Rosario, and Luis Mojica. It was completely beautiful. Really, really, really proud of how that came together and hope to offer it again um, future Scorpio seasons. My seven-month container for learning astrology, charting your course, is now in the middle portal, portal three. It's been a rich, deep, moving experience. There's a lot of fluency that's growing with the students, a lot of community connecting, friendships forged, a lot of tender awakenings to oneself, profound connections being made with the planets is beautiful and um, humbling to witness. Upcoming, I admit that I have some classes and workshops that I'm 
listening to that want to come through, but I'm not sure if I will do them all because the most important thing for me, well, two, the most important things for me right now are, okay, three. <laughs> the first is the magician's table is going to come back this spring. I'm hoping to have at least two sets of 12 this time. This is like my very, very unique offering, unlike anything else that's out there to support those who are emerging as readers of some kind to name and claim them the identity of magician and reader. That was the one of the most... The things that I'm most proud of in this life is Magician's Table 2021. And I'm very, very, very excited to bring it back again. And that's going to take a lot of my energy and attention in the coming months. I'm also uh, opening my books for the first time since March, since before the Magician's Table 2021. Um... What I'm offering now are as a, a 60 minute hour or a 90 minute hour, which folks can use through one of three ways or a combination of ways a, a reading, a tutoring session in astrology, or as business coaching. And these seem to be the ways that I'm asked to help people now. And so for those of you who are wondering about the year ahead reading, where's the year ahead reading? The year ahead reading is something that I've been doing every year. It's been a recording where I do 35 minutes of uh, astrological forecast for you and 25 minutes of a tarot forecast for you for the year ahead. Wildly popular offering. Loved. Right now, either the 60 minute or the 90 minute, you can book as your year ahead reading. And these are now done live. If you deeply desire the recorded version of the year ahead reading, I'm only going to do that for people who have had that offering before. You know who you are then. So please reach out to me so that I can give you the quote for the new price for the year ahead reading and you can decide if you want to do it. It is much more energetically draining for me to do a recording than for me to do a live session with someone. And so I have to price that accordingly. And then I've unfolded a new long-term offering I'm only going to have eight people at a time doing this called Transformation. It's a six-month container of one-on-one work with me. This is especially for people who feel themselves at a threshold, feel they're on a bridge, feel themselves to be moving through change, and or who just deeply desire to finish the next six months feeling like you are embodying the, the emergent ways of being inside of yourself. So far, I have um, five now left, five seats left for that. So if you are interested in learning more about transformation, you can book a free call 
at my website. We'll hop on the phone. I'll talk to you about it. You can decide if you would rather do transformation or if you'd rather just book one or 90, uh, one hour or 90 minute readings with me now and then. The, the reason you would want to do transformation over that is if you want something super duper intentional and potently contained within a single offering as a magical container where a loose series of one-off readings is very powerful, very po- can be very potent, but it doesn't have that kind of like beginning point, end point container of intentionality. And you just have less access to me because you would only have access for the finite amount of the actual session or when you do transformation, it's sort of like open email. It's open communication because it's very high touch and you get a lot of one-on-one time with me. This is really powerful for me. Um, this is really what I, how I like to work with people. I just, we just started and I, ha- I just had my first initiation call with the first person who said yes. And I'm so excited by how she feels and how served she feels that she already is. Um, by this investment in herself. And that's just what I want. I just want happy, happy, happy clients who feel like they're just like swimming in so much value with their investment in me. Because really they're investing in themselves. I'm just like the, I'm just holding the space for it, you know? So... Other than that, I'm also working on getting seating the year 2022 finished with Angela. Our goal is to have it available for purchase sometime mid-December so that you can definitely have it by the new year. This is a very, very powerful offering. It's going to be year four for seating the year workbook. Amazing. The first one was a PDF that you could download. The second one was a little... Um, kind of pocket workbook. Last year, it was this big, fabulous, gorgeous color version. This year, we're going to go black, back to black and white so it can be more affordable, um, but it will still be really, really rich. And it has um, sections to help you go back to it throughout the year at the solstices and um, the equinoxes. So there's that, and stay tuned for more updates from me and Angela's corner, our workbook corner. Our business is In Case of Emergence. You can go to incaseofemergence.com to check out all of our workbooks. Our goal in 2022 is to, oh, I'm not going to say yet. I just decided I'll wait and share. I'll wait and share maybe in Capricorn times. But we have really exciting things coming up, me and Angela. And um, if you're a fan of the workbooks and the workbooks are maybe how you found me or the workbooks are a big part of how you engage with my work and my voice, um, uh, stay tuned for exciting news um, from that part of my work. This year has really been about teaching, where 2020 was about writing and I'm wanting 2022 to be a, a more balanced mix of both of these. All right. 
Now it's time to get into Sagittarius teachings and the forecast for Sag season of 2021. Okay, so let's talk about Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Sagittarius comes at the end of the autumn season here in the Northern Hemisphere. And it's a sign that we associate then with the darkening of the year to the the darkest, to the very darkest that it gets. And I think that this is in itself a really important part of understanding Sagittarius straight out of the gate is that if astrology has helped humans to identify the qualities in us we wish to call upon as we are part of and participating in nature, then what is called upon in us for the darkest of the year? You know? That's really the thing about Sagittarius. It is the part of ourselves that we call on to survive in the dark. It is the part of us that helps us live through the long night. So what do we need? Well, essential there is fire. And Sagittarius is a fire sign. Fire is the animating spirit within us that lifts and grows and gets bigger the more we tend to it. The third and final of the fire signs, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. Fire is our passion. Fire is our energy. Fire is nonverbal. Fire loves air. And air helps us verbalize whatever it is that we're fire about. But fire is nonverbal. It is energy. It's the spirit inside of us that can get bigger and brighter and faster and higher the more energy it has. It's a particular kind of fire where Aries is cardinal fire that initiates. It's that spark of spring full of like tons of power just straight out of the gate. Leo being 
fixed fire, like a bonfire around which things circulate, um, around which things gather, constellate, like the sun. So Sagittarius is moving fire. It's mutable fire. It moves around. And so you can call on the visual metaphor that feels right for you. For me, that feels like a torch. And so it's this energy of this torch that inspires others to follow. And it is like a guiding light that like we move constantly towards the torch, but because the torch is also moving, we're sort of like always in movement as we're following it, never quite catching it, you know? And this is related to the arrow, to the archer, to the centaur with the bow and arrow that is the symbol of Sagittarius that is like this uplifting spirit energy that is always like um, uh, reaching, that is always um, aiming, that is always like filled with the spirit quest towards something, towards the sky, towards the horizon, towards the stars, towards the sun. But it's, it's a continual process of re-aiming and refining and getting more and more clear about like the essence of the quest, the essence of the, the spirit's desire to what? Understand, to adventure, to thrive, to feel some kind of like boundless transcendence and connection to the sky, even as our bodies are always grounded here. This is where we live. The, four, the centaur's four feet and hooves are on the ground, trying to make the world that we live in meet the aspirational self, meet the, the way we want to understand meaning, the way our heart wants to understand the quest. And so Sagittarius is the sage. It is the philosopher. It's like the choir singer. It's the bard. It's this part of us that um, is full of really big questions, but maybe doesn't have precise answers that expounds and muses and tells tall tales, sometimes stretching the truth because tall tales are more exciting and there's something about their size that feels more appropriate to the kinds of feelings and the kinds of questions we're asking. <laughs> so there's this sort of like bigness you know, there's this bigness to Sagittarius and there needs to be when you're sitting around a dark fire and you're very cold and you need to live through the night and you gather with other people and tell stories and sing songs and dream of what's on the other side stitching together, patterning together a sense for like why we go on, why we live, what are the qualities of the heroes that keep going, like what, what are the traits and the principles and the qualities in us that we want to grow and that we want to 
mirror and that we want to embody as we move through this human journey. So like heroes, tales and storytelling and, and beautiful hymns are the stuff of Sagittarius, you know? There's this broadness to the, to the principle. There's a buoyancy and a expansiveness to the fire because it needs to be kind of like extra, as my daughter would say, um, in order to be sure it like has the elasticity and the, um, the flexibility to leap across the solstice and hold enough of what it needs to make it to spring, to bridge it back to Aries, you know? So when I think about Sagittarius and talk with people about Sagittarius, I will always bring you back to like, well, where does Sagittarius get these qualities? The ruling planet. It's the ruling planet that imparts upon every sign its qualities. So for every sign, there's a ruling planet, we say. And for Sagittarius, that is Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, the big planet in our solar system. Jupiter's size already says a lot about what it is. Jupiter is the principle of expansion, of broadness, buoyancy, expansiveness, this like sky god, lord of the sky. Jupiter is the part of us that stretches bigger in order to like catch the inspiration to latch onto the hope to unite with a kind of animating spirit that helps it to um, survive, that helps it to um, catch the winds of whatever it needs to keep going, you know? Jupiter is not necessarily like realistic part of us, which is good because we have other parts of ourselves to be realistic and to be practical. We need the Jupiter part of ourselves to imagine what's not possible yet. We need the Jupiter part of ourselves to catch this like creative inspiration that hasn't been seen before. And then we have Saturn. We have these other parts of ourselves that can sit down with the Jupiter part of ourselves and be like, okay, but how exactly is this going to happen? You know what I mean? So like Jupiterian people by nature... Jupiter rules both Sagittarius and Pisces. Um, Jupiterian people by nature uh, don't worry too much about the practicalities of how it will get done. They're in the enjoyment of visioning the possibilities, channeling the possibilities, um, writing the, writing the, um, excitement of the story, um, writing that crest of the, the bow and arrow and, and following the arrow as it moves towards the sky, you know, um, 
So sometimes Jupiterian people can feel like overly big. They can feel like so much. They can um, seem loud. <laughs> they can seem like the people who like can't stop talking and telling big stories or like their voice is the loudest song in the space. And that's just, that's the Jupiterian broadness and jolliness. Um, Jupiter longs for Saturn, the planet that we'll talk about when we talk about Capricorn and Aquarius, because Saturn is the part of us that helps the Jupiter like get down to business and figure out how we're going to make things happen that Jupiter comes up with. But the sad part of ourselves really needs to be free, you know, to not worry about that yet. Like the Sagittarius parts of ourselves needs to feel independent. It needs to feel um, liberated from constraints and practicalities so that it can be like the brilliant visionary part of us that it is. Um, The Sagittarius part of us, the Jupiter part of us, wants to be connected to the starry, starry sky and doesn't want to be too worried about the mundane details of things down here on the planet. Um, But because we are all the signs and we are all the planets, we are able to then temper that Jupiterian part of us to make things tangible and manifest here on the ground. But when we're in Sag here, when we're connecting to our Sag, it's nice to give it some space to roam. The Sagittarius part of us is kind of like a wild horse, you know, it like needs to feel like it can go where it wants to go. So you can think about yourself, like what kind of a person am I naturally? Am I, do I tend towards being Jupiterian? Do I tend towards wanting that expansiveness and that freedom? Or do I tend towards maybe being more Saturnian and being more like uh, limiting, right? Like Saturn is limits. Do I tend to want to limit the Jupiterian part of me? Do I tend to want to limit the Sagittarian part of me? Because it's like too much. It's like too fantastical. It's like too broad, too too expansive um, for this world. And so I'll limit it. You know what I mean? Because when we're playing around with any sign, as I like to talk about in the Living the Signs workbooks, where when you're playing with that sign season to season, it's nice to do like a little test with oneself. Like, is this a sign that I feel far away from? Or is this a sign that I'm like swimming in, you know? And thus too, like, is it a sign that I feel like I maybe could, could use more of, like a jolt more of this? Or is this a sign where I like kind of need to know some boundaries around? And we've all been in a story with these parts of ourselves the last couple, the last, let's say, year and a half because um, the eclipses have been in Gemini and Sagittarius, because eclipses are always in opposing signs and polar signs. They happen every six months. And whatever eclipse season that we're in, whichever two signs we're working with, we're really learning a lot with those signs in our lives and the departments of life that they rule in our chart. And so 
we've been on a journey with Sagittarius quite a bit since um, June of 2020. And that journey is wrapping up because the eclipses, as I'll speak about, are moving into Taurus and Scorpio here. And so all of us have been perhaps learning where our connection to truth with a capital T, philosophy, capital P, um, religion, capital R, like these kinds of like rules that we make for the meaning of our lives. We've really been learning about ourselves there, our Sagittarian self, maybe learning to let go some of like the philosophies we pin to, the truths that we hang everything on, because sometimes these allegiances, we can say, actually separate us from connecting with other people. Sometimes we use these allegiances like biases and we judge others who don't hold our same allegiances. So we've been in a journey in like working through the shadowy side of the Sagittarius inside of us so that we can hear each other. And not everyone has done the shadow work. And so we've seen a lot of shadowy aspects of Sagittarius performed collectively on the stage of our lives, both in our personal lives and collectively. So that's also something to be thinking about as we move into Sagittarius season is the final act of that story. When I think about Sagittarius and Jupiter, I also think about teachers. Um, We associate Jupiter with teacher. And um, I wanted to read from my Sagittarius workbook where I tell the story of the cauldron of Caridwin because it's a story that I like to associate with Sagittarius. And this will get us into the mood even more. So Caridwen is a Welsh sorceress goddess. The story I know about Caridwen comes from the tale of Taliesin, included in the epic cycle of the Mabinogi. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. I'm a very Jupiterian person, so I don't really think about the details of how to pronounce things. <laughs> that's like a detail, the Jupiterian part of me just like doesn't find important. That's very Sagittarian to be like, oh, the, I, the truth is just what I know. <laughs> I'm sorry if you can hear my daughters screaming from across the house. Caridwen is celebrated as a classic witch in the woods with her magical cauldron by which I am aligning with a neutral term, meaning a person who connects with the animated divinity and nature to create from the will of her purpose. There are so many ways we as humans can create. And for Caridwen is through alchemy of her cauldron potions. She would brew concoctions for prophecy, help other people meet their goals, gain insight, enhance her or other people's powers, and improve health and well-being. Once there was a time when Caridwen determined to create a potion for her son, Morphrin, who was deformed physically and mentally. In her heart, she wanted to help her son grow wise and strong. She researched from her library, and she listened to her intuition and decided she knew what to do. 
It would take the dedication and devotion of a year and a day. Every day would require careful stirring and carefully timed additions to the cauldron based on the wisdom of the plants and the planets. After a year and a day, only three drops of the potion would be needed to give the imbiber the greatest wisdom of the bards. The rest would be deadly poison. To help her, Caridwen hired an old blind man named Morda to tend the fire and a young boy named Guion to stir the pot. Never once did Morfrin offer to help or take the slightest interest in the process. It was Caridwen's passion and love for her child that guided her discipline. A year and a day came to pass, and on the day it was time to share the potion with Morfrin, Glian stirred the pot three more times. On the final turn, three drops flew out of the potion and onto the boy's hand. Guion flinched at the heat of the potion and automatically put his hand to his mouth to soothe the pain. So in an instant, Guion received all the power of the potion. Caridwen shrieked with rage at the boy. Guion bolted out of the cottage to flee from her, and Caridwen chased after him. Possessing now all the wisdom from Caridwen's cauldron, Guion turned himself into a hare to outpace the witch. Then Caridwen responded by turning into a greyhound. Just as the hound was on the heels of the hare, they reached a river, and as Guion leapt into the air, he shapeshifted into a salmon and swam into the dark, reedy waters. Just as quickly, Caridwen turned herself into a hungry otter. As swift as the salmon was, the otter had more speed, and just as her paws outstretched to catch the salmon, Guion leapt into the air, and in his mind he saw a crow, and then he became one. Spying this move, Caridwen responded by turning into a hawk. Through and round the trees of the forest, darting up this way and that way, the hawk chased the crow, and just as the talons of hawk, the hawk nearly caught up with the crow, Guion looked down and noticed they were flying over a mill, and he shifted into a grain of wheat. And so Caridwen managed, imagined a black hen, and she became one. And after pecking and pecking away, she found and swallowed Guion. In the belly of Caridwen, Guion grew for nine months and was born again as a baby boy. Though Caridwen had planned to kill him at, a, at birth, she couldn't once she saw the beautiful being who had been part of her. So she gathered a magical swaddling and crossed the moors to toss him in the ocean where he traveled unchained, changed for hundreds of years before the time came for him to live as Taliesin, meaning shining brow, the greatest bard of Welsh legend known also as Merlin. In this tale, Caridwen's cauldron is the agent of transformation for Gwion. The alchemical processes of creation are also those of destruction, because Guion must now die to his former self. Each of the elements helps facilitate this. Guion shifts from earth as the hare, water as the salmon, air as the crow, and finally fire as the wheat that seeds new life. In shamanic tradition, as in all spiritual awakenings, There is a death to the former self 
in order to initiate a new way of being. The second cauldron in the story is Caridwen's own belly. In the waters of her body, she gives form to the new consciousness. None of this went as she had planned or desired, but she facilitated and saw the process through to what became clear would be an end beyond her control and beyond her own life. Caridwen is the facilitator of change that needs to happen, whether we think we want it or not. Caridwen will chase us down and make us be brave and agile as we move through the phases of transformation. Just as Guion had to think fast and trust his instincts and bring a spirit of play and exhilaration to the demands of the chase, so are we invited by the energetic force of Caridwen to adapt with spirit and flexibility. She insists we accept the change that is trying to move through us. By analogy, Caridwen reminds us of great teachers who push us, sometimes harder than we want to go. Visualize her wild spirit lit by rage, hunting Guion down. Inside each of us is a Caridwen on the hunt for empowering change, with zeal for the adventure and a loud cackle for the mad joy of the chase. This is the drive of the creative spirit. It is the impulse to shapeshift. It is the light of the soul to reach beyond the self for more. This is Sagittarius. I really like this. I mean, I... I I I debated whether to do Caridwen in the Scorpio workbook, which we associate, Scorpio, we associate, of course, with transformation, that keyword, and ultimately decided to give it to Sag because sometimes I think we give Scorpio all transformational powers when in fact every sign really can offer us some of it. And I feel like the light of this, this cauldron, this cauldron metaphor it goes really well, too, with thinking about temperance as the card that we associate with Sagittarius and the tarot. I especially think of the Thoth deck and how temperance in that deck is known as art. And we see these two beings merging, um, throwing water and fire into this cauldron. And it's all about alchemizing change and about allowing ourselves to integrate change and let it move through us. I say in the Sagittarius um, workbook in the section on temperance, just as Sagittarius follows Scorpio in the Zodiac and the Wheel of the Year, and as temperance art follows death and the tarot, so we reconstitute after we have unraveled. Remaking ourselves happens on a broad spectrum between oh-so-subtle imperceptible shifts every single day to massive healing periods tied usually to spiritual awakenings. Sagittarius and the reach and expansion to learn and understand universal truths modifies, recombines, and tempers that which it all is already that which it already is, and that which it already knows. Sagittarius invites us to reconstitute who we are as hybrids of all of our past experiences and former identities. 
In this way, we can preserve and honor the essential beauty of who we were and what we learned, always updated and renewed in the present moment. Through alchemical marriage, the Sagittarius in us combines and recombines our eclectic, broad passions into something creative and our own, even and especially those parts of self that feel opposing, unrelated, or divergent. Yes, 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 yes. And so I bring us back to my longing for this, for us, for me, this Sagittarius season. If you are feeling a little bit like many parts of you have gone into a cauldron and you're not really sure what this means yet, um, Sagittarius is the recombiner, you know, lit with fire below. It's the animating spirit in us that wants to transform into something else on the other side of the season. And in, in, in it's like learning processes and adventures help so much with this because through our teachers and through the teacher within, within ourselves and through the, the beginner's mind that we can always bring to the kinds of experiences that we have and just everything that seems to show up and how we can learn from it with curiosity and with our big spirit and with our song, we can kind of find out the magic that we're made of, like Gwion in the chase surprising himself with his abilities to literally transform into other elements and into other beings. And then Gwion becomes the bard, the bard Merlin Taliesin, storyteller, singer, um, magician. So on the other side of the interlude, I will share the forecast. Okay, so let's look at where we are orientation-wise in terms of the astrology so far so that we can really know where we are here at the beginning. And then I'll talk about some of the keynote aspects of the upcoming season. So... Yeah, let's think about this idea of Sagittarius season as integration time, like temper me, temperance card, temper me, Sag. Um, because we've been through a lot um, this upcoming, I mean, this upcoming, this, this past fall. Um, Libra season, the first sign of fall, cardinal air. Libra 
had a lot of churning because multiple planets over that time were making squares to Pluto. Mercury three times because Mercury station retrograde and squaring Pluto and then was retrograde in Libra and then had a closing square to Pluto on November 2nd. So that Libra season brought up a lot with both Chiron and by opposition and with Pluto by square. And for discussions of that, you can go to the Libra season episode. Point being, it was very excavating, Libra season. That was a lot. We saw a lot about pain that we hold, trauma we hold, fears that we wrestle with. Um, A lot to take us to our knees, a lot to obsess around, maybe noticing compulsive behaviors that feel out of our control sometimes, like they have a life of their own, which are really there because we feel dysregulated or we feel out of control in some way. And why? Some kind of underlining fear, some kind of something gnaws at us, you know? A lot came up, Libra season. Scorpio, which is inherently Pluto, Pluto-like, Plutonic, um, because Pluto is the modern ruler of Scorpio. Pluto carried a lot of oppositions to Uranus and, and then squares to Saturn. And Saturn, the Saturn-Uranus square between Aquarius and Taurus is one of the highlight and key features of the astrology of 2021. And so the angle from Scorpio with the sun, with Mercury, with Mars, um, was aggravating that square and coming at it from this other direction. So there was a lot of maybe surprising turns, um, uh, sudden realizations, like being invited into like a whole new paradigm you weren't even expecting, um, There was a lot that was awakened over Scorpio, potentially for you, related to what was excavated for healing in Libra. And so here in Sagittarius season, it feels like the time for temperance. You know, it feels like the time for alchemizing all of that into some kind of new form. Um, Lit from below as a cauldron by fire by our very own animating spirit and the light within ourselves of our fire that wants to keep going and is the torch that we follow. So I'm really calling that in for myself and for anyone else who's interested in calling that in you are welcome to enjoy that we are approaching the winter solstice the dark moon that we're about to move into from the lunar cycle that began with the new moon in scorpio is the darkest of the dark moons um i guess 
Um, let me think. Yeah. You could argue that the dark moon before the new moon in Cap is pretty dark too. <laughs> so both of these, these upcoming dark moons are the darkest moons of the year for the Northern Hemisphere because we have such long nights. Um, this, it's a really beautiful time for shedding and reinvention. And um, we're also approaching the final of the Saturn-Uranus squares for the year. The first one was February 17th. The second one was June 14th. And December 24th, which is officially Capricorn season, will hold the final Saturn-Uranus exact square. 2022 will also carry a lot of the tones of that square because we'll be coming right off the third one when the year begins. And then all of the fall of 2022, they come to nearly an exact square. It's just that it's never exact again. Because of retrogrades, they will come back together, but just not exactly. So the story's not really over, but the the most intense um, portals of it will be the, um, were the three this year. And so whatever you and have been making of what that means for you, Saturn in the house where you have Aquarius, squaring tension, 90 degree angle to wherever you have Taurus, Uranus and Taurus, really shaking things up and how you do certain structures of your life inviting in a lot of paradigm um, reinvention, potentially. Just like really asking you to drop into some new ways of being. And uh, working through all the discomfort that comes up with that kind of change. So the final square is not till Capricorn season, but it's building all through Sagittarius season. Just increasingly as Saturn is moving direct motion and Uranus is retrograde motion, they're moving towards a numerical exact square on December 24th across all of Sagittarius season. So that's something to keep in mind, even though the exactness doesn't happen until the beginning of Capricorn. Hmm. So that will be approaching. So looking at Sagittarius season then, um, I'm thinking about then how the sun in Sagittarius and pretty soon here Mercury in Sagittarius will be what we say ruled by Jupiter. Because Jupiter, as discussed, is the ruling planet of Sagittarius. So then we say, well, where is Jupiter? And Jupiter is in Aquarius with Saturn. Jupiter is in Saturn's sign. So there's a Saturnian energy that's coming in more strongly than we've felt it for a while. Um, as basically all the primary planets, once Mars moves into Sagittarius, then um, the, the primary personal planets will be in Sagittarius and in Capricorn with Jupiter and Saturn in Aquarius. And they're, so they're all answering to ultimately Saturn. So we've had these windows of time throughout this year um, where it was like 
everything kind of answered back to Saturn and we're moving back into that time period again. Of course, because we're moving towards winter and Saturn is associated with winter. So when I'm looking ahead to Sag season and thinking about how like the kind of angles the sun is going to make to things, the sun from the fire sign of Sagittarius makes what we call a sextile to the air sign of Aquarius where Jupiter and Saturn are. That's a friendly line of conversation because in general, air and fire talk easily together, whereas water and earth talk more easily with one another. Um, From Sagittarius, Taurus is not in view. So Uranus will not be in view to the planets that are moving through Sag. Um, So it kind of puts Uranus a little bit and more of a quiet position, even though Uranus is coming up on having being a big player, as I said, in the sense of the growing square. From Sag, though, the sun can't really see Uranus. When um, it's in Sag, it makes what we call an inconjunct angle, and that those angles are planets that can't see each other. And that should like temper a little bit of like the shock shock and surprise that Uranus can sometimes feel like it's bringing us or often feels like it's bringing us in 2021. Something that we're keeping an eye on is that from Sagittarius, we have squares to Pisces where Neptune is. So there's going to be little pockets. I'm not going to list all the dates for these, but there's going to be some pockets throughout where um, the grandiosity of Sagittarius and the ungroundedness of Neptune may make it feels like there are some pockets of time where we have a hard time seeing clearly, you know? We may misjudge things or we may feel hooked a little bit in illusion. And it's just something to keep an eye on in terms of like grounding ourselves continuously in... um, what is feasible? What is, what is a way to kind of bring the balloon back down so that we can see clearly? Kind of going all the way back to the beginning of this whole episode and I was talking about I am a clear person. Neptune can make us sometimes feel confused or overwhelmed or um, in illusion. Okay, so the main things that I wanted to bring up then um, for us in this episode are the new moon, um, the full moon, and then Venus stationing retrograde. So the new moon is going to be on December 4th, and this is going to be an eclipse. We just had an eclipse, which was the full moon in Taurus, the first of our Scorpio-Taurus eclipse cycle. And now we're going to have the last of the Gemini Sagittarius eclipses that we've been having since June of 2020. So um, that new moon is at 12 degrees of Sagittarius. So think about if you have any planets or points around um, 12 degrees. It's going to be 
in a happy relationship to both Saturn and Chiron, which to me indicate there might be this really beautiful opportunity to ground a lot of what we've been learning about our pain into our hybrid uh, alchemized new ways of being that we're calling in for integration across Sagittarius season with Saturn helping us build the structures that we need to support us around that. That sounds to me like a really exciting possibility that can come in with that new moon. But as always, remembering that it's an eclipse. Now, I have a free eclipse webinar that I did with Jonathan Coe, which you can access through my Instagram links. I'll try to remember to put it in the show notes. But um, I talk all about eclipses. We talk about eclipses and how they bring us new sight. They often bring reveals that we weren't expecting and invite us into the shifts that would be most helpful to us based on what we can now see that we weren't seeing before. So even though I'm seeing some supportive astrology around that new moon, I also feel like when it's eclipse season, it is a time for like really, really grounded listening um, just like collecting the data, um, hearing everything that the universe is trying to present to you, trying to show you, trying to humble you with, trying to help you grow with. Um, I'm pretty gutsy with eclipses. Like I really like to walk with them. I like to do things with them. I'm not anti-spell when it comes to eclipses. But I do it with deep respect um, and readiness to allow whatever wants to come forward to transform me. It's like such alchemy times when we have eclipses. So the degree to which you're up for that is the degree to which you can work with it. If you're not really up for it, then it's best to stay more quiet. (laughs) yes deep respect for the eclipses the full moon two weeks later on the 18th will be at 27 degrees of Sagittarius and 27 degrees of Gemini because Gemini is the polar sign of Sagittarius and this one is a very busy um, astrological event Uh, it's not an eclipse but it is a lunar event happening after an eclipse. So it's still like in the eclipse window, we could say. Um, it's a time where a lot will be illuminated at that full moon. And again, a time for like a lot of receiving of insight, a lot of information. Like I love for these types of full moons to sit down and ask my tarot cards what is being illuminated and do like a spread around that so I can get help in seeing what's trying to be shown to me. I feel like this one will have a lot. This full moon will be in a friendly relationship to Jupiter, which will hopefully help with those downloads and those realizations and the sight. Saturn at this point will be getting very close to being square Uranus again. 
So there may be a lot of information that's coming in at that time around that. Mercury will be squaring Chiron at the time of that full moon, which could hurt a bit. And Venus will be stationing in the very next day after that full moon. Venus will be stationing retrograde until the end of January. So Venus crossed into the shadow of this retrograde window. It was either November 17th or 18th. And Venus will go all the way to 26th of Cap, 26 degrees of Capricorn, just passing Pluto, thus stationing with Pluto in Capricorn at um, December 19th. And then going all the way back to 11 of Capricorn, stationing at the end of January and going forward again and won't leave that shadow post-retrograde shadow, till the first week of March. And then Venus eventually will say goodbye to Pluto one last time and move on into Aquarius. So we're learning a lot with Venus. We're learning a lot with Venus. And it's very tender territory because these are the degrees that have been really shaken up across 2019 and 2020. These are those Capricorn degrees. If you have any planets or points between 11 and 26 of Capricorn, really I would even say, you know, 9, 10 to 27, 28 of Capricorn, they're being invited to play too. So my, my moon is in this game. <laughs> this is all in my career house, Capricorn. Like how I'm showing up in the world. My reputation. I'm expecting to get a lot of information. And, you know, Venus to me with the retrogrades, <sighs> Venus is helping us to identify what we want without apology or explanation or shame. Without apology, without explanation, without shame. What do you want this part of your life to look like? What do you want the domain of where you have Capricorn to be like for you? And take it, magnetize it. But first name it. You can't get what you want until you name it. Like I've been slapped over the head with this many times with many kisses from Venus this year. Venus will give you what you want, but you have to name it without apology, without explanation, and without shame. So I'm really inviting Venus to help me, to help you, to help anyone who is up for it, to get so beautifully clear with our gorgeous Capricorn parts of self those parts of us that are so up for doing the good work for the long haul, really like building things that last, building things that have endurance, building things that have focus, that have our discipline, our devoted discipline. But why? Why do we do that? Why do we think we have to be disciplined? That's where we need the reprogramming. Many of us, I don't want to speak for everyone. 
But Venus can help us get more clear. What's all that discipline for? What's all that hard work for? And I think that that's really exciting. Now, as with any retrograde, it may not always be easeful. We may bump into like, ooh, didn't I really like seeing myself like that? Or like, whoa, that was a lot of years that I was in that default mode. You know, and you want to get like caught then and snagged inside of like self-flagellation and you want to be mad at yourself or critical of yourself. Like, why have I been doing it this way? What's wrong with me? But it's just like Venus is like, stop apologizing. Stop feeling bad about yourself. We don't, just stop talking. Like, just begin again here. And like, do what you want. Be Capricorn for what you want. And don't look back, you know? Moving on. Moving on. We begin now. So I'm going to have a lot more to say about Venus and Capricorn. I'm sure at the Capricorn season episode... I'm sure at the Aquarius season episode, I'm going to be talking about Venus and Capricorn a lot. But right now what we're in is like the buildup. We're in the buildup where it's very supportive to just kind of like visualize like, okay, the thematics are coming. Feeling in the thematics, like what does Venus want? What does Capricorn want? Where is this in my chart? Do I have any planets or points there? Like feeling into like, what are the kinds of invitations that this is going to bring me into? You know, what are the tarot spreads? Like, what is the altar like set up? Like, what what are the libations? You know, what are the prayers and the invocations to make this awesome for you? To like have it turn out like, better and more exciting and more evolving than you could even imagine. Like, oh my gosh, what if you could shed so much BS with this? What fucks are you going to stop giving? Because Venus did the retrograde in Capricorn in 2021, 2022. Remember that Venus in Capricorn? Oh my God, that was like such a liberating time in my life. I really like, I look back at that and I say, that's when, you know? This is what we're calling it in Sag season is like the visualization of like the most empowering possibilities for this for you, you know, and for all of us, for the collective, for your communities, for your loved ones. And really committing to that. That's what Capricorn like is all about you being committed, you know, so commit, commit to the best possible Um, long-term outcomes because Capricorn loves the long-term. So that's building across Sag season. It's like we're just approaching the solstice here. Venus is going to go retrograde. We're going to have our final Saturn here in a square. We're just in the slow approach to that. So in the meantime, let's go Jupiterian. Let's go Cauldron. Let's go Caridwen. Let's go art temperance. 
and integrate everything that we've been learning across the fall, but really across this whole year, because we're coming into this like dark window time where we're really just sloughing off so much of what it was. (sighs) Thank you for listening. This was a long one, but I feel like I really wanted to ground into this. And um, I hope it was supportive. I hope it was helpful. I hope it was interesting. If you're interested in having a year ahead reading with me, please book your session ASAP because those are going to start booking up and you may find yourself not in a time slot until March. (laughs) I don't even know if my scheduler will book out that far. So um, connect with me for a year ahead reading or for sessions Think about if you want to be the, one of the five people who still get to do transformation with me over the next six months. Maybe you're ready for that. That's my special, special gift to be able to do that with you. Stay tuned for more. And I'm wishing you, wishing you, wishing you all the very best across Sagittarius season. Cheers. Cheers.